What a beautiful prayer. And Joseph, thank you so much. I don't think Joshua ever fit the Battle of Jericho like that. That's a beautiful <laughs> job. Great job. I do hope you'll come back tonight. Tonight is going to be a powerful time of worship at 6 o'clock. You are the Christ, our choir and orchestra, nine anthems composed by Joseph. So glad to have him with us here this morning. Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. A while back, Robinson Funeral Home in Easley, South Carolina, did something rather odd. They opened up a Starbucks in the funeral home, complete with a fireplace. There's a picture of Robinson Funeral Home right there, complete with a fireplace, TV, couches, free Wi-Fi, you name it. Got your friends, let's all go down to the funeral home and relax and have a good time. Well, Christopher Robinson, the funeral director, said the reason we did that, it was a way to get your mind off of death and on to having a good time. Well, naturally, there's going to be a contest to submit a name for the coffee shop, right? So they, they had all the, everybody write in and submit names, and you got the typical names like decoffinated, Wake up and smell the coffee, um, see a latte, uh, bean nice knowing you. See coffee, bean, bean nice. I'm just reading them, okay? <laughs> Here was the second place uh, winner was uh, Still Above Grounds. That's a pretty good yeah, name. And the first place, the, the, what they're, uh, they've decided to name it now, is Time to Meet Your Mocha. <laughs> I didn't mention Grim Roaster or anything else that was submitted, so... So get your mind off of death and just have a good time. Daniel chapter 6, we encounter the king of Babylon who tried to put his thoughts off of death and simply focus on having a good time. And it didn't work. We're going through a sermon series in Daniel right now and and in the, in the book of Daniel, we're tracing the lives of four young Hebrew young men taken out of Jerusalem in bondage uh, whenever Babylon invaded and taken back to live in Babylon. And one of the things you notice about these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they never compromised their faith in God, ever. Daniel chapter 1, they were, they were not going to eat of the king's food and God blessed them. Daniel chapter 2, he could not interpret the vision. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't. And, and, and Daniel was able to do that through God's help. And God blessed them. Chapter 3, they would not bow to the image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. And then last chapter, last Sunday, we saw another dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And God gave Daniel the ability to interpret it again. And now we come to chapter 5 and we see the Babylonian king wanting to try to ignore God and ignore death and just have a good time. And it didn't work. So read with me starting in verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to 
bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Let's look at this story and see what God teaches us through the passage. First of all, on your outline, letter A, King Belshazzar, verses four, rather, uh, verses one through four. As you turn the page from Daniel chapter four to Daniel chapter five, you travel about thirty-six years. Daniel is no longer an official in the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king of Babylon. He died after a 43-year reign. He's been dead between 9 and 10 years now. And the new king is by the name of Belshazzar. The word Bel, B-E-L, is one of the names of the nine Babylonian gods. And Shazzar means simply to protect the king. So Belshazzar means Bell will protect the king. And we're going to see Bell doesn't do a very good job. Daniel is now in his 80s. Whenever the book opened, chapter 1, he was 17. And now we're to chapter 5, and he's probably mid-80s. Things are different. Belshazzar is the new king of Babylon. Let me stop there just for a moment as a side note. Critics of the Bible who did not believe the Bible is true and accurate, they loved Daniel chapter 5. Because they felt for many years it was inaccurate. And one of the things they said was inaccurate about the chapter was that there was never a king by the name of Belshazzar and the last king of Babylon, the Bible says his name was Belshazzar, histor history books and historians say that the last king of Babylon was a man by the name of Nabonidus. So, so critics of the Bible for a long time said, oh, you, you Christians, you are misguided. Your, your book is wrong. There never was a Belshazzar and Nabonidus was the last king. So, what are you doing? You're inaccurate. If you're inaccurate about history, how can you be accurate about anything else? But then in 1853, archaeologists in the ancient city of Ur of Mesopotamia made a discovery. They discovered an ancient Babylonian clay document written in cuneiform. It was in cylinder shaped. And it was inscribed upon it, these words, quote, As for me, Nabonidus, the king of Babylon, and as for Belshazzar, the eldest son of my offspring, and then he went on, oh, wait a minute, there was a king by the name of Belshazzar. In fact, here's the cylinder right here. It's a copy of it. It is in uh, the British Museum in London, 
written on there is proof that Nabonidus was the king. Nabonidus was someone who did not like conflict, so he liked to rule his kingdom from afar. So he moved to a place called Tama in the middle of Saudi Arabia, and, and Belshazzar was the one who ran the kingdom. So the last king of Babylon was Belshazzar. And the Bible was right. Well, one night, Belshazzar threw a wild, drunken party for 1,000 of his nobles. Gathered 1,000 people in a huge building and they party together. Critics once again say, wait a minute, they couldn't fit 1,000 people in a building in those, in those days. The Bible's inaccurate until documents found that Alexander the Great at his marriage had 10,000 people in buildings at his marriage and that Ashurbanipal of Assyria dedicating a new city had 69,000 in a building. Belshazzar had a thousand of his nobles gathered and they got out the wine and the alcohol flowed. And he had an idea. I know. Do you remember 70 years ago whenever we invaded, my grandfather Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem? You remember they went into the temple and they just took everything in the temple of God's holy vessels and those golden vessels he, they, they took back to, to Babylon and they just put them up. Why don't we get those out, pour wine in them and drink alcohol out of them? It's a way to disparage the God of, of Israel, Yahweh, and a way to embarrass him. Let's do it. So they did. And the Bible said they got out the vessels, the golden vessels of, of, of God's temple, stored away for 70 years, poured alcohol in them, and drank out of them, and they just celebrated to the gods of Babylon, and they mocked the God of Israel. By the way, there's a rumor going around. And the rumor is that while they were partying, there was another nation trying to invade Babylon and take over. Persia. King Cyrus, for the last four months, had been gathering troops around Babylon about to invade. But Belshazzar, don't have to worry about that. Babylon is a city that can never be taken. It can't be taken. It, it, is, it is the perfect natural fortress. Herodotus, one of the Greek th th uh, historians, wrote about it. He said Babylon was a city that you couldn't take. It had been a thousand years since anybody even tried. And so Belshazzar wasn't worried. Why couldn't you take Babylon? Well, for one thing, the Euphrates River surrounded it and protected it. And then you have this city that's 40 miles square and the walls are 350 feet high, 35-story walls, 25 feet thick, 40-foot space, 25-foot another set, second set of walls. They're armed. You can't get across the river and you can't scale the walls and you can't attack Babylon. So Belshazzar was saying, I don't care who's trying to gather to attack us. Let's party. 
and the alcohol flowed and everything went great until God showed up. Go to letter B on your outline, the handwriting on the wall, verses 5 through 9. Back in these days, whenever they would have a big banquet hall, the king would have an elevated platform on one end. All the nobles would sit out there and they would look at the king. And back behind the king would be a white plastered wall. And so they're drinking and they're taking God's vessels and they're toasting and they're having a wonderful time to the Babylonian gods. And everybody's getting drunk until all of a sudden King Belshazzar turns around to this white plastered wall and he sees a disembodied hand. Not a body, not an arm, just a hand. Take its finger and begin to write. And Belshazzar probably thought, oh my goodness, this alcohol is too strong. I'm seeing a hand right on the wall. But he got sober in a hurry. The Bible said the king watched as the hand drew letters. His color changed. And the Bible said his thoughts alarmed him. And his knees knocked together and his limbs went limp. And his mouth flew open, shocked. Four thoughts I had as I was reading this passage right here. One is, the Babylonians back in these days, whenever they would conquer a city or they would conquer a country, they would write the name of the country on a plastered wall and write the name of the king they conquered. Now God shows up and writes Belshazzar's name. Notice also it said that it was opposite the lampstand. There was a lampstand here and that way the lampstand could shine light on the letters so everybody could see what was written. Another thought I had was, it only took the finger of God to make the world's most powerful man cringe in fear. The finger of God is all it took to take the world's most powerful man and bring him to his knees. And another thing I thought was, there is power whenever God writes something down. And folks, you are holding in your hand something God has written down. Deuteronomy says with the finger of God. There's power in it. Back in 1899, German archaeologists was in southern Iraq digging around and found and they uncovered what would become the large banquet hall, 56 feet by 173 feet, elevated on one end with white plastered walls behind Many think it was this one. Rembrandt, 1600s, painted a painting about what this may have looked like in the Bible. Here's a picture of it. Notice that Rembrandt painted that here's Belshazzar, head turned 90 degrees, looking at people are shocked sitting around him. He throws his arm up like he's going to protect himself from God. Seriously? And notice on the writing there, the hand is writing. It's illuminated because the lampstand is opposite. And you notice what he's writing. The hand is writing there. He's writing 
from right to left and, and vertical columns, not horizontal columns. That meant it was a Semitic language. It was the language of God and his people. So Belshazzar, being a Babylonian, didn't know what it said. He couldn't understand it. But he's frightened. And he shouted for the wise men of Babylon, the enchanters, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, come here, hurry, hurry, read this writing. Can anybody tell me what it means? And nobody could. And he panicked. And he was terrified. God sent a spokesman. Letter C on your outline. Daniel speaks for God. The Bible said while Belshazzar was terrified and disturbed and, and looking at this, wondering no one can interpret it, the queen walked in. Now, who's the queen? Well, the Aramaic languages and other Semitic languages, they don't have different names for father, grandfather, great-grandfather, or mother, grandmother, great-grandmother. And so the queen, it could have been his own mother. She had influence in the courts. Or it could have been Nebuchadnezzar's wife, which would be his grandmother. But she walked in. And she said, oh, king, live forever. He wasn't going to live for the night. Oh, king, live forever. I'm, I'm sorry that you're disturbed by this writing, but, but, but I have an idea. No one can interpret the words for you, but, but I have an idea. There is a man in the kingdom that your grandfather used. Whenever he had dreams, he couldn't interpret. The spirit of the gods is in him. And he can interpret what it says. Call him. His name's Daniel. Belshazzar didn't even know him. Call him. And let's see if he can interpret. So they went to get Daniel. While they're going to get him, I, I have a couple of thoughts. One is, what a great reputation Daniel had from the age of 17 to the age of 80. Never compromised his faith. Folks, he was in a culture that hated God, antagonistic toward God, but yet he kept his faith and was a strong witness. You and I, we live in a culture that often disparages, devalues Christ, traditional Christian beliefs, and the God of Scripture, and you and I have a perfect opportunity to show Christ in darkness. Daniel did. Another thought I had was Daniel was not at the drunken party. Why? Who wants a godly person at a drunken party? Right? So why do they keep inviting you to the parties? Something else I thought, a lot of people do like Belshazzar. Whenever they get in trouble, they turn to God. Turn to the church. Let's go get the holy man. Daniel. I still do the same. So Daniel came. And Belshazzar said, Daniel, it's good to see you. I have a problem. We were, we were having this feast and 
And all of a sudden, this hand begins to write on the wall and wrote three words up there. And I don't know what the words mean. Are they against me? Are they, are they prophetic? I, I just don't know. And, and I understand that there's a good spirit in you. And, and I understand that you used to interpret dreams for my grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Well, if, if you can somehow interpret what this means, I will, I will make you third in all the kingdom. Hold on a second. Did you notice he said third? Nabonidus, co-regent Belshazzar, third. So if those critics would have read a little further, they could have figured out why Belshazzar was the king. I'll make you third in the kingdom. I will give you gold chains. I'll put a purple robe on you, which means royalty. You tell me what these three words mean. I'll promote you. I love what Daniel said. Daniel said, O king, I'll be glad to interpret what the words mean. Keep your gold chains. Keep your robe. I don't need a promotion. I'm fine. King, here's what it means. God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, gave your grandfather a majestic kingdom, Babylon. Powerful, glorious. And Nebuchadnezzar thought it was his. And so he lifted up himself before the Lord and God humbled him. He, he brought him down and made him lose his mind. He went psychotic and he thought he was a cow and he was eating grass out in the pasture for seven years. And Belshazzar, you knew this. You should have learned from him. You didn't. And O oh king, those golden vessels you took out of Yahweh's temple and now you're drinking alcohol from... Those are from the only true and living God. The very God who gives breath to your body. And if He were to take it away, you'd evaporate. That God. So, Yahweh has come down to give you a message. There are three words on the wall. The words are meanie, tekel, you parson. I know, no, no, Daniel, what, what do they mean? Well, King, God has measured you. He's weighed you. These are three words of measurement. He has weighed you in the balance of morality. And He has found you wanting. The word meanie means numbered. King, your days are numbered. In fact, your hours are numbered. Oh, King, tonight... Your soul will be required of you. And the word tekel means, it means weighed. In fact, the Hebrews get their word shekel from it. And parson, you parson, you is the word and. And parson is, is the, the plural of paris, which means divided. So he's divided plural. He's divided your kingdom. The Medes and the Persians are going to take over. And king, your time's up. This very night, you'll stand before Yahweh.
Verse 30 tells us that very night, Belshazzar was killed after the party. And the Babylon kingdom fell. Here's how it happened. Look at letter D on your outline, Babylon Falls. Now, the Bible does not tell us how it happened, but history does. Here's what happened. As you look back at the events of that evening, it was in October of 539 B.C. whenever they had the drunken party. Cyrus of Persia had been gaining power, and he had been planning for four months how to attack the city of Babylon. No one could penetrate it. So for four months, he had gathered troops all around it, starting in June of 539 B.C. He had placed troops all around it. But the Euphrates River had protected it. So here's what he did. Through his commanding officer, Yugbaru, he, he went in and he dug trenches from the Euphrates River and diverted the water flow. He dug the trenches where the water went out into the swamps around where the water level dropped in the Euphrates down to just a trickle and the army marched across the Euphrates as the water was just trickling around their feet. By the time they got to the walls, Belshazzar was so confident no one could ever even reach the walls that he took men off of the walls and it was undefended. So the Persian army that night marched across the water, the, the shallow waterbed. They went, scale the walls. Nobody was defending them. Scale the second wall, and the troops rushed into the city. And after Daniel got through speaking to Belshazzar, the doors burst open at the back, and the Persian army invaded, came up to the platform, captured Belshazzar, and killed him. One of the Greek historians by the name of Xenophon, he wrote, quote, When the Persians attacked the city of Babylon, the Babylonians were totally surprised. They were having a large feast to their gods, which is what Daniel 5 says. And Belshazzar was killed instantly, just as God had said. And within a few hours of the handwriting on the wall, Belshazzar, was standing before God whom he had taken the vessels from and tried to embarrass. Folks, one of these days could be ours, could be tonight, could be this afternoon, could be years from now, but one day you're going to stand before God. We can try to avoid death. We can try to have a good time. But we're all going to stand before God. And the only thing that will matter, what we did with Jesus Christ. Have we received Him, accepted Him, submitted our lives to Him? Let Him be the one that forgives us of our sins. Have you ever done that? That's all that's going to matter at that moment. Last January 23rd, Tom Brady played what everybody thought was his final football game. 
So everybody thought whenever he threw a 55-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans against the Rams and Evans took the football and chunked it into the stands, everybody thought that's the final touchdown pass Tom Brady will ever throw and that football is going to be worth a lot because that was the last ball. A man from Florida caught the ball. Leland Auctions paid them a nice sum and they took the ball and they're going to auction the ball off. So on March 12th, they decided we're going to have an auction. And so Leland Auctions got the football. And by the way, here's a picture of the football. Got the football. We're going to have an auction. March the 12th, and we're going to auction this off. And so they started the bidding. One bid, another bid, and finally sold. Sold to a man. They wouldn't disclose his name. Sold to a man for $518,623. More than half a million dollars. And then, guess what? A few hours later, Tom Brady unretires. Which means there will be more touchdown passes thrown and more balls. And the value of that one bowl went from $518,000 down to a hundred bucks in just a few hours. What made the difference? Seven words. Tom Brady tweeted out these seven words. We have unfinished business. I am unretired. And with those seven words, the value of everything he had put into nothing. And folks, one day you're going to hear seven words, same seven words Belshazzar heard. Tonight, your soul is required of you. And with those seven words, everything you have here will be left behind and worth nothing. Make sure you're ready for that moment. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and, God, what you teach us through Belshazzar. God, I know there are probably people right here living lives and going to parties and getting drunk and having what they think is fun. God, help us to realize that one day, one day, it's all going to change. And we must have lived a life for Jesus Christ and we must know him in a personal way. Father, I realize there are those people watching us by live stream and there are those people sitting right here in our worship center, just like sitting in the banquet hall of Belshazzar. Sitting here not knowing you. I don't know who you are. Never had a personal relationship with you. So Lord, it is my prayer that today will be the day we turn aside everything else, make you our top priority in life, and embrace Jesus as the only Savior of the world. God, may that happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.